You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hey everyone, Ralph here. Thanks for listening. This is episode two. Jamie and I talked today about Amy Coney Barrett's appointment to the Supreme Court and how religion and faith should or should not be involved in law, especially at the level of the Supreme Court, and how much does faith influence a legal matter. Let's get into it. Hey, so what did you want to talk about today? So I think we should go with what we were talking about, you know, the... uh, Well, go with it, man. We're on the air. Oh, we're on the air? Okay, great. So if we're on the air, then I'm going to get serious now. So... so (laughs) Put your pants on and get to it. Oh, but come on. You can't have a Skype meeting or a a Zoom meeting without your with your pants on. That's crazy. So the... (laughs) Zoom I'm meetings and apps, no, you don't, you're not allowed to wear pants. That's right. So, the, um, so, so as we, we started talking about last time, Amy Comey Barrett is the uh, nomination that President Trump has nominated to take the place of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the big debate when, when I think, I'm not sure exactly when the debate came up, but um, Dianne Feinstein really sort of zinged her when she came up for a nomination, I think the last time, and said that um, that the Gospels run deep in her, I think was actually the quote. Mm-hmm. And they were really giving her a hard time because she is a religious, you know, a deeply committed Catholic. She, she, she's de- devoted to her faith, which, I, I mean, I don't think that would come as a negative, but I wanted to see, you know, sort of bounce back and forth. Would you be more comfortable with somebody on the Supreme Court who is deeply religious or, or deeply secular or not religious, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't necessarily have to be anti-religious, but does religion, how does that, how would that manifest for you? Would that make it a positive and negative, not a, not a factor at all? What, what's your thoughts? I mean, in a, in a, it's a very black and white sense, right? Like, because, you know, religion of any kind could uh, corrupt someone. So, uh, and it's not for me, it wouldn't be about which religion in particular. It's about how that religion has impacted your life and your choices and how influential is that is your belief system um, in your decision. And for, you know, for a polit- politic, politics is different than court for sure, because the hope is that anybody on the Supreme Court is more informed by law and uh, history of law than they are by Catholic doctrine. Um, or, or anything else for that matter, right? Like that really is the whole thing, right? When you're a Supreme Court justice, right. the law you have to is see beyond. Person. Yeah, right. So if something comes up about yeah, if something comes up about selling steaks on a Tuesday in Indiana, and she says that that's against my religious beliefs, but this is a ridiculous case, you know, you know, you have to be like, well, the, the law says this, not my Catholic, you know, upbringing tells me this. I think that's. You know, that's the hope that, um, but I think the hard part is, you know, they're wrapping so much politics into law and order, especially the Supreme Court, 
um, that it becomes putting their person who agrees with their yes. stance. No, for um, sure. Like, so that's sort of a sidebar issue. Sidebar issue is how much has the Supreme Court become a sort of political body in and of itself and not, is not sort of a independent judicial body that it's supposed to be. But what I found interesting was in hearing the sort of attacks being levied at her, I actually thought the complete opposite. I thought if there's somebody that I want to be on the court, I actually think this is such a positive in your resume to be a religious person because I, from where I sit, now, again, I'm going to say this with a caveat. That's not, it's not necessarily the case, but it could very well lead to somebody who has a high moral standard, right? It shouldn't be looked at as a negative, as, as at least where I'm coming from. It yeah. shouldn't be looked at as you have, you have a, a sort of religious, um, what do I want to say? It, it, is, it is a very uh, common part of your being, right? You, you, you attend church, you attend synagogue, whatever it be that that should be looked at as something negative is very foreign to me. Um, if anything, you would hope that having some sort of, and I think I, I could be wrong here, but you, you'll, you'll correct me if I am, that the religious doctrine itself is supposed to make you a good person. Like that's right. The right. I often call it a moral compass. Like you, you, you're, yeah. you're trying to gauge where your moral compass, the source of it. And um, uh, yeah. And it, you, you know, as you're, you're growing up, it, it, sort of gives you a foundation beyond what your parents teach you and hopefully, you know, a greater breadth of, you know, how do you, how do you live this way with this moral compass? What values do you, do you hold higher than others and that kind of thing? And every religion gives you some sense of a moral, even if it's, you know, uh, counter, counter to many other religions. For sure. And I, I mean, the thing, the thing that's hardest for me is that we often hear stories, at least in our community, of people who are doing something um, egregious, right? And they, they, they pray three times a day. They would never go into a non-kosher restaurant. They, you know, observe Shabbat religiously. But then they embezzle thousands and thousands of dollars from, from whatever work that, they, you know, whatever they're doing. Yeah. And it looks like the biggest hypocrisy that you could ever see. Right? How could, you, how could you do all those things and miss the whole point of all those things? All those things are supposed to make you a better person. They're supposed to make you, uh, you know, live the most moral life that you can live. And, and yet you sort of miss that. It's like, I, so from where I came from, when they, when they said that she's a devout Catholic, that to me was like, well, that's a positive. I mean, shouldn't that be a positive? I mean, there's very little that I do in my life that say like outside the religious framework that all of a sudden I go, well, I keep kosher, therefore I need to XX. And it's not going to influence my sort of being outside of my religious sphere, except for making sure that I already have that, what you're talking about, that moral compass. I already have that idea of what's right and what's wrong. Did you call it a compass? Well, it's the thing that you use in Wait, our no. with the, with Com the Compass. It's pronounced compass. No, no, but it's with the, is it the one with, which one are we talking about? I thought we were talking about the one with the, you know, the pointy thing and then the pencil. No, no, no. It's, it's like the true north, the Boy Scouts use. Oh, that's the, see. Like a compass, like which way is my, which way do I point my morals? And you're trying to find, you know, the greater source is the north-south pole. And so your compass is like God. You were, you were thinking of the triangle? The triangle, the, the thing that the, the big circles. No, that's not the same thing. I think it is, but that's uh, yeah. Do they call? Like how wide is your circle? I thought you that's what it was. Compass, like, 
like it's like a hall pass. It's something that yeah, it's something that's like uh, you know that the the tech industry needs to get past something else. Anyway, it's like a really so, bad name for a business. You know what I mean? The other, I mean, I think I think where I, I mean I think that's where the political edge comes in, right? Where um, who did you say it was Nancy Pelosi? No, no, it was Diane Feinstein. Diane Feinstein. Um, I mean, I think that's where the political edge comes in is that they're trying to sway their people against this person and using whatever they can. And it's also, it also assumes that every religion is like every believer is homogenous, like has the same beliefs and same lifestyle, right? So they're going to point out another Catholic who has abused their power in a political way or in the Supreme Court. And they're assuming that this new appointee uh, is also going to abuse her power in the same way, right? Like, um, like w- when I tell people I'm a pastor, for instance, uh, you know, they, they always have an immediate assumption of who I am, what I believe. And, uh, you know, I get people, I get people who are like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, too. Uh, you know, my, my dad spoke in tongues or something. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's a little different. Or you get people who are turned off because they think, crusades you know and it's like well we're a very different very different group now and it's it's you know it's not like we you know every religion gathers together in groups of millions and says okay what are we all going to believe and how are we all going to handle our money and how are we all going to treat our neighbors it's like you begin to get this compass and then people kind of branch off and it's you know human nature to uh defer from that you know that that pure and holy source uh, and become something totally different. I think, so that's where I see, you know, this coming to is it's this. Look, I, I mean, I think the political big, shaming you know, a group. Right. Right. I, no, but I think right now the big thing for the Democrats is, is Roe v. Wade. They're really afraid that some, somehow and some way in the near future that the votes will be enough to, to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think what they're missing, and that's the whole point, I think what they're missing is the the interpretation of what goes on vis-a-vis Roe v. Wade is not has nothing to do with Catholic doctrine has nothing to do with the fact that she actually would not do be, participate in that would not advise her children to do that right to have an abortion unless it was some sort of maybe you know physically life threatening you know situation um, I, I think the the idea is that and when you're a proper Supreme Court justice or any any justice for that matter. You interpret the law, period. It has nothing to do with how I feel about it, right? I might really want that person because I know that they have done XX and X wrong, but all I've got them on is tax evasion. You know what I mean? But if I can't get them on tax evasion, I can't just put them away because I feel that way. Do you know what I mean? And so it's the same thing. Just because I feel that Roe v. Wade is not something I'm excited about doesn't mean that I have the, the, the power or the ability to sort of look at it and say, no, it's violating something within the Constitution. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because that is a gray area where, um, you know, the Catholics have a very strong doctrine, uh, anti-abortion. Uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett has seven kids of her own because they believe you can't use birth control. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that's a that's a bad thing. I, I would probably have 70 children if I couldn't use birth control. <laughs> but um, uh but so, yeah, so it's like, you know, there are laws on this, but she's going to interpret the law. Do you remember, maybe, maybe in the Jewish custom, this, this wasn't as surprising to you, but I still remember, I think, 
early, in early adulthood finding out that the law is interpretable. Like not every law is, were you speeding above 65 miles an hour or not? Like, right, that's a very clear, measurable law. But then, but then all these cases came up. I remember my first time I got to vote, um, I think it was uh, Bill Clinton, Ross Perot, and uh, someone else anyway. And I just remember they were talking about several of these law issues. And I was like, how could they argue about what the law says? It's either you're speeding or you're not speeding, right? It's an abortion or it's not so, abortion. It's right, whatever. Do you that, remember that? I remember how, how yeah. my mind-blowing it was that uh, people could get around these things by arguing the law actually says something that someone else doesn't agree with. Right. So that's so that it's funny because what happens is a lot of people who come to Judaism late in life, who who become observant as we say late in life, they have a very hard time sort of turning off what what I call the the black and white syndrome, right? What that, do you call what do you call those people? Do you have a name for them? Like muggles or mudbloods or we call them, we call them um, uh, late bloomers. We call them BTS, which means bal tshuva. Which means what do you call a bal, a bal tshuva means that you um, or a balat tshuva if you're a woman means you came you you decided on your own at some point to become observant and re- more religious. That was what your decision uh-huh. was right, and so it means to sort of tshuva always means to return. So you came back to being you know sort of like your source. You came back to the source, quote unquote when you uh, made that decision. Um, and, those, and, and so what happens is it's sort of like two, two groups of people, the, that group of people and, and a lot of people who live in the black hat world where you, you know, the traditional people who dress in the black garb and the black hat, which I am not one of them, they really... Um, the they black hats are baklava? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Wait, is that that's like is that a mark of a of a late of a late? No, 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 not necessarily. That's why I said two groups of people. You can oh, be a oh, oh, oh. and you could be within any of the different sort of sects of Judaism, but you could also be in the black hat community, which is and people like to say, oh, there's there's no wiggle room whatsoever for any of this. And what happened was, you know, as you sit down and you start to learn, the the the, the they say the the, uh, the term that we use is called a posik. A posik is someone who um, knows all of the Jewish text basically at their fingertips, right? Actually, one of the the greatest, they actually think that he had like a computer mind, and I can tell you a really cool story about him. But anyway, he like uh, Rain Man, he, of, Rain Man of Jewish law. Exactly, exactly. He basically, uh, one of my teachers said that he heard a person who's a really, truly amazing posik can sort of utilize the tools they have and the rules of the game, as we talked about before, to not basically make anything permissible, but they understand that there's lots of different ways to sort of, like you said, get around and interpret. And it's not just, interpretation has, is a little bit loose, meaning when you say interpretation, it sounds like you just go, well, that's how what I think. And you go, well, that's what I think. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is there are things on the books and there are enough, you know, people who've written and there's different things which have been written and there's different ways that the system functions that if you really know what you're doing, there's, there's a lot of room to sort of figure out problems, as we like to say. Sure, but then it gets back to the, the Amy Coney Barrett situation where it's like, where does that point back to? Right. Like, so you, so yeah, it's interpretable. And I think, you know, rabbis do have a culture of, you know, you've heard this, but let me tell you this, right. That's right. Jesus was, was learning from rabbis and he did that often in the gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So how you know when 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 she reads the law and it's a law like Roe v. Wade, and everyone reads it the same, and she goes, "Well, you've heard it this way, but let me tell you a different way." Uh, I mean, that's where the danger comes in, right? Because it's is it supporting a political or a religious source, or is it you know is law stand apart need to stand apart from itself, especially at a supreme level? I don't know. I feel like there's got to be you can't. That's why I'm saying that when, when, when one says, I interpret it this way and you interpret it that way, that's a very different thing than when somebody sits down to write a legal uh, doctrine in the Supreme Court and tries to defend the position that they're, that they're putting out. You can't just say, I feel that, that Roe v. Wade is not good and therefore it's not good. Like, that's ridiculous, right? No one's going to sit down and say that. But that's what it comes down to in the end with it, the it, Supreme it, Court. There's a vote of nine people. Correct. But that's, but there's two different things I think going on. One is a, is a, is an issue of motivation. And another thing is a, is an issue of, can you substantiate it? Can you actually substantiate what you're saying as if you think there's a problem, where in the law do you see that this has violated something within the constitution? Right? Sure. That's, that's even though like, let's, let's say this, there's many places where I've heard people say in, in, in tradition, in the traditional world, I'm talking about, I, I sort of am in that sort of liberal orthodox world, right? And when I was studying, one of the teachers I had said very, very openly, the Achilles heel of modern orthodoxy is homosexuality. Because we who are, who are modern feel with all of our heart and our soul that the people that we meet and the problems that they are facing are real. And we don't know why God would ever send a person onto this planet to have the inclinations that someone who is gay has, yet have a doctrine that says you can't do that at the same time. That's a, that's a complete quandary for us, right? And since the system works the way that it does, we really have no wiggle room when it comes to sort of trying to validate that sort of lifestyle from a legal standpoint. What do I mean by that? As we've talked about, I think, once before, there's no, I don't have to treat, I should never treat anybody in any which way differently because of their sexual orientation or their lifestyle. But if they come to me and they say, I want you to say that, that uh, homosexuality and the lifestyle that's being led is legally acceptable within the Jewish doctrine, so to speak, I yeah. can't do that. It's, it's impossible. So do you, okay, so this is a question um, that kind of connects with, with Supreme Court uh, nominations, but... Um, when you are looking at an issue that you you uh, you already have made your religious stance on based on the law, do you read the other like if a new a new uh, memo came out in the Jewish culture that opposes what you believe? Do you even read that, or do you just have you already decided right? Because for Supreme Court justices, like you said, like they're going to write their stances. So mm-hmm. if Amy Coney Barrett's already determined predetermined because of her religion and work she's already done in um, anti, anti-abortion rights and um, women's equality or whatever it is, if she's already determined and done that work, is she even going to read anyone else's memo right. or has her religion superseded that? So do you do that? Do you read the opposing parties? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you this. There were two things I've heard. One, I think most people, re- especially if it's as controversial as, say, homosexuality, let's say, because what happened was about 
oh, now it's about 13 years ago, when I first moved into the Orthodox movement, um, there was a decision that came out through the conservative movement, which is the middle-roaded liberal movement, you know, sort of leaning right liberal movement. They came out with a decision that said that basically everything except homosexual relations, let's, let's talk about actual right, penetration of any kind, that was not still acceptable on the books, but everything else was fine. That was the decision that they made. When I was learning in that movement, before I moved to, into the Orthodox movement, one of the people who was on the law committee that, that was opposed to the decision said, and this was not even in that context, he said, the best thing that you can do is when you have a position that you write that the Orthodox world responds to, that means you did what that mean? He meant by that exactly what I'm talking about. If, if someone writes something, right, in the Jewish world, whether they be in the reform movement, reconstruction movement, or conservative orthodox, right, if they write something which is unsubstantiated, it won't even warrant a response, right? Yeah. If you write something which really is not textually based, you just said, we feel like X now, that's not even going to warrant a response from the other side. But if you write something that's really actually grounded in text, it will drive them so mad <laughs> that they're going to respond, right? And that's the thing you want to do. You want to write something that actually has textual basis. And so, yes, should, do I read it? Absolutely, I read it. I'll tell you, can I, can I go on to, to, to sort of one thing which I want to ask you a question about in this regard? Yes. Do you remember about, oh, God, how many years ago was it now? Oh, I don't think it was long ago. I think it was five years ago now that the Catholic Church wrote I remember uh, nothing from five years ago. That's a total no. <laughs> let me see what I can. Let me see if I can jog your memory. You gotta Google it while you're asking. Go ahead. So I look. I look intelligible for once. So the, it, no, it's, you'll remember this. The the Catholic Church came out with a position that said purgatory does not exist. Do you remember the letter that the Pope wrote? Is a Pope right? Nope. Oh my nope. God! Yes, I Google it by Google my it right away. <laughs> Google it right away. So the so basically they said. There was the, pro the problem was, if I understood it correctly, that if, you, if children die either before they're born or right after they're born but not yet had a baptism, then they're stuck in purgatory forever. Does this ring a bell at all? Yeah, I mean, and, that's, that's, a, a, yeah, that's a standard. I mean, that's been... Right. So in order to solve the problem, they said there's no, there's no such thing as purgatory. That was the letter. Did you find it? Um, yeah, I'm looking at it. Keep going. So anyway, that for me was the most mind-boggling thing because in the Jewish tradition, we like we can come out with lots of what they're called chuvot, right? A chuva is a response. Somebody asks a question, which is a she'ilah, right? You get a she'ilah, you answer with a chuva. That's the answer. So we write these the long-winded chuvot about, you know, it could be about homosexuality, it could be about so many different things. It's never about a metaphysical reality. Like, we don't, we don't have any say in that department. We're like, really? You could just say that purgatory doesn't exist? That, my head almost exploded. I was like, could we write something like that? That would be amazingly influential. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that to me was so, I don't know. I, I completely understand the motivation behind it. I completely understand. And, and I guess within their legal uh, corpus, that's something that you can do. But in the I mean, Jewish and that's... That in the Catholic 
church, that is the responsibility of a pope is really to, you know, do kind of interpretation of law and gospel and, you know, put into edict what the Catholic church at large worldwide is going to move forward on. That's amazing. Uh, so, and I mean, yeah, I mean, that was the previous Pope, Pope Benedict, um, second, did a lot, did the, no, way more than the second. This? What is he? What was it? 16th. Wow, man. I, I, I guess I missed a couple in between. Did anything his cool? last name, his last name is XV, XVI. <laughs> Pope Benedict X, so you're XVI. It's related to the Super Bowl. Is that what how, it is? Related how do you pronounce? The... Yes, exactly. His, the Super Bowl was a, uh, his nephew's cousin. There you go. It's twice removed. Pope Benedict XVI. I don't even know how to how to pronounce those. XVI letters. is twenty six. Twenty sixth, right? Isn't no, it's it is? sixteen. X is, X is ten. Oh, X right. Like the phone. There is no twenty. Like there the is twenty is two X's. Benedict is way behind the Super Bowl, though. This is like, ah, jeez, Louise. So wait, I, that's what I should know that, right? Because I have an iPhone X, so I should know that that's ten. I should know these things. But you know they don't call it the iPhone X in the cool world. They call it the 10. They do? That's yeah. the hip thing to do these days? Yeah. Yeah. I was corrected by some friends at Apple, too. And, and he clearly, I said it. So I look. Got, I got the, the X. And he said, you mean the 10? The 10. No. The, oh, he, he told you what was, he told you the way it goes. He huh? told me very kindly. He was a, a good friend, not an Apple shamer. Oh, that's good. So he, the, he let the law be interpretable. Be a good man. So, okay, so back to Amy Coney Barrett. Here's the Go. interesting thing: is I think you brought this up initially when she was um, brought forward by President Trump. But there's new uh, con- controversy about a sect that she had been a part of and lived with, called the People of Praise. Have you heard this? No. Tell me. So uh, she, during law school, uh, she lived with. Uh, you know, it's a parachurch organization or group called People of Praise. They have their own covenant, um, and they have been criticized externally uh, for uh, very rigid, uh, formal, imposing practices. Uh, Things like if people want to leave, the entire group has to vote on whether they leave, and if everybody votes no except for that person, they're forced to staying. Wait a minute. Uh, That's like the Seinfeld episode where you have to turn the keys. Yeah, exactly. You can't break up unless you both turn the the, the the, keys. The the nuclear weapon needs two people to turn it at the same time. Yeah. Um, But and and there are several practices that this group has has been called into question that this group has done from external sources. So she lived with the Grand Poobah of this movement, this Kevin Rannigan. I love when you call me Grand Poobah. Grand Poobah, yeah. And then she, um, this is also where she allegedly met her husband. So the both of them have been a part of this group that is under some scrutiny as being, so uh, one article I Sounds read was- Sounds semi-cultish. Is that where we're going here? There you go. Yeah, that's, that's one way to put it. So they're under scrutiny that it's not just that she's uh, been, you know, her Roman Catholic views at this point are- at question, which is much, you know, that's, that's huge. I don't, I don't know which other Supreme Court justices their religions are, um, but I can imagine some have been raised Catholic, but a lot of politicians have been raised Catholic. So as a, as a criticism, I, I don't really take that seriously, but this group that's been, 
you know, more accurately criticized for, like you said, semi-cultish. There's some call to question. They did a lot of work against um, women's rights and independence, gender roles in the family that are not, you know, kind of normative or modern at this point. So, you know, the question is whether that informs a lot of her. Uh, How much that informs. That's, that's a little, you know, more universally scary than saying she's a part of the largest religion of the world that many American politicians are already a part of. Yeah, no, that's that. Uh, that's that is definitely going to complicate things. It would be cool though. It'd be really cool though if during a Supreme Court hearing she broke out and started speaking in tongues and doing this, doing the dancing and falls to the ground. Sure. That would be that'd be a wonderful thing. And then and then <laughs> and then one of the other Supreme Everybody Court loves that have to interpret whatever she was. <laughs> just, she was the spirit was just calling her to say. Oh, this is. Oh, it'll be oh, it'll be exciting. Do they do they air this stuff on uh, Court TV? Does that stuff get aired on Court TV these days? I don't know. Have you seen though? Have you seen the the Caught in Rhode Island show? Oh, I've seen a couple. Yeah, it's with There's that guy. So right? there, it's how- Half the world watches because it's interesting TV and it's you know this this bout of kindness and respect amidst the court. The other half of the world, the other half of the viewers probably watch it because of the ridiculous Rhode Island accents and the characters oh. that come up. They're like, oh, me and my buddy Stewie were just going for a donkey run, and, <laughs> and, and we didn't even know there was a red light there, so we, we can't be guilty. <laughs> like, do, they, yeah. do they have the, the what's it called, the, the running ticker on the bottom to tell you what they're saying? You're like, a yeah, dump right. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, caught in Providence. That guy should. That how come that guy wasn't nominated for Supreme Court justice? Oh, I feel or, like that. Or, or running for president of the system. <laughs> yeah, he should be running for president. Maybe even. I don't know. Now, are you? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, to another episode of You'll Never Believe This. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you next Monday. <laughs>